You are listening to Is There an Echo in Here? A podcast about Echo and the Bunnymen. been tough a nightmare but there's a silver lining and what is that shane this episode rules shane yes okay yes oh for sure i have i say this with the utmost conviction and uprightness of confidence uh that you're going to enjoy what we've finally come away with here after months of god False starts, uh, technical glitches, just, you know, blind corners. Um, oh my God, listen, y'all. We have been working on this. Okay, this episode is called The Birth of Punk, right? I think we, that's our word. The Birth of Punk, yeah. It's about the birth of punk. And I don't know why, I don't know why I made us give a <laughs> comprehensive history of punk in this podcast. As though people don't know. I felt like I just had... It was like part of the, it was an assignment, you know? Yeah, totally. Like I'm just called to do this. And then really, it just seemed like a fun little thing, you know, a little point in history. But then it was so arduous and felt so dorky and hard. Dorky and, and just like, like, oh, we went down all yeah. these, just these one-way streets. At one point, we even had a Rage Against the Machine clip. We were like fine. reading, yeah. I'm not, you know, not... They're great, but like we just and then I mean we were just talking about like some Green Day and just I don't know. And then even we were reading what. lists off of Wikipedia oh and it was just like because you know what it is? It's a broad topic and it's a and generic topic. We and it's an it's a it's a it's a well trodden path. You know, and I love I love doing this podcast so much. And um but this one I wanted some help. So do I. <laughs> but I wanted some help. And so I like I put out a call on Instagram. Yeah. That was like, what is punk? You know, like picture and of nobody Ian. replied. No one. And just a chatty little people like will reply and like I get yeah. a lot of conversations. The sweetest. It just makes my day. That one was just a dial tone. Why was like what's like when Pac-Man dies? Yeah, that was. I'm not good at that. Yeah, do it again. Do it again. I spent a lot of time in bars in the '80s with my dad. And you are like that guy on uh, in Police Academy who can make all the sounds. <laughs> I know I can do some Star Wars stuff. I'm not gonna do it right now. Courtney has the ability of perfect audiation. I'm like R2D now. I really and I don't do accents well, but I'm like R2D2 with like machine sounds. Do it. Remember when he does? <clears throat> I have to have a certain to do that. Um, I could do this. <laughs> What's the name of Darth Vader's ship? Those ships, those little things. Star Destroyers? No, no, those are TIE Fighters. X-Wing and TIE Fighters. Yeah, I can kind of do the TIE Fire. Do it again. Wait, you have to get this perfect rattle in your voice and it kind of hurts. (laughs) Should I sit here and try for a while? Yeah. (laughs) Welcome to punk. Intro to punk. 
So let me just say, <laughs> yeah, there's no one helped me because no one wants to talk about the stuff, the, the birth of punk. It's like, we, we get it. It feels, just yeah. feels so much like Barnes & Noble uh, coffee table book. It's like Ken, Ken Burns presents punk. And, and Ken that's Burns what punk. I feel like every time I talk about it. And like, I couldn't do the mature thing, which would be to just write an intro. Dean Ramone's out there, 53rd and 3rd, <laughs> and he was just waiting for his man. You know, I could have made this really good and interesting. And so we wrote a song about it. <laughs> we just That's the episode. We should just stop it here. I should have sucked it up and um, acted like, you know, my favorite podcast of all time. I would not even be doing this podcast if I had only Our discovered podcast it soon. No, is your favorite uh, podcast? Known pleasures, man. Oh. I don't, you know, it's known pleasures. Yeah, you'll you'll see. It's a podcast. It's a podcast about. It's a podcast for me. It's a podcast Who for does my it? people. It's a podcast by these three Australian guys. Oh yeah, three. Friends. Oh, you told me about that. Yeah, I think I even made you listen to some. But and yeah, so we were recording it over. Thanksgiving, we were recording over Christmas, we were Hanukkah, uh, I mean, New Year's, uh, my birthdays, and Our then birthdays. it's almost Valentine, guys, and finally we have this episode which Shane thinks is going to bring in lots of people, and it's going to be so good. The new listeners, welcome, because um, I know rule. you've been wondering, like, what the heck's been going on over here with me and this whole Echo and the Bunnymen thing. But this is the one that's going to introduce you to all the fun and magic that's been happening because I know it's like not really, doesn't really fit in with my uh, whole aesthetic conceptual continuity thing. And, uh, but. Who are you, you talking will... to? Your fans? Yeah, I'm talking to my fans oh, okay. and friends. They're not listening. But they're going to listen to this episode. Okay. If you're a new listener, welcome. Um, if you're an old listener, uh, you will also enjoy this episode. Because welcome. Welcome. Welcome, everyone. Just everyone is welcome here at Echo and the thank you. Podcast. And thank you so much for joining for sticking us. sticking with us. And because... for sticking with us. Because, yeah, and, and, you know, this is a podcast that comes out when it wants to. And we're sorry. And we're sorry. For the delay it's been in this so episode. Long. Yeah, we Last owe episode was a what? Huge apology. Roger Eagle. And, Roger Eagle. Uh, that was know, like what's going on in Liverpool at Eric's Club. Yeah, it feels like the episode was actually made in the fifties, but uh, it yeah. So here we are. We're going to talk to you about punk. We also tried to keep it topical for those of you who are here for Echo and the Bunnymen. Yep. We we are going to cover all of the important ba- all the bands that are important to them, to our our That's buddies right. Ian McCulloch vocals, Will Sargent guitar, Les Pete, Pattinson bass, and Pete DeFridas battery on the drum. Okay, battery. Yeah. Now the way I feel about this whole thing, this episode is I just don't even care anymore. I feel like I'm in this wasteland. You're over it. You're over it. I feel like I'm in a wasteland. I realized doing this podcast that I do not care about anything that is not related to Echo and the Bunny Man. Right. And I just want to skip over it. And uh, <laughs> so yeah, the whole thing is the good news is is that in process Two months mm-hmm. in, mm-hmm. Courtney stumbled on some treasure in the mm-hmm. form of an article that was written by Will Sargent, the guitarist from Echo and the Bunnymen. And it appeared in Q Magazine. In Q Magazine. And it is an article that 
became the load star by which we were able to navigate our way through the desert of this punk rock episode. Yes, and, uh, because the band has not even formed yet. And so we're still... I mean, in we're our chronology. Doing, in our chronology in the podcast, we've got, you know, we've got a guy opening a club. We've got some some boys who are in high, dropping out of high school in the C-Stream. We've got some washboard bands in Liverpool, bands turning in Liverpool. In, getting some Rickenbackers. And we and, finally got, you know, got some punk going. And um, now I don't even care anymore because I'm just so ready to get back to really talking about the guys in the band and the band itself. And so don't you worry. Next episode, that's that's what we'll that's be talking it. about. All we've already recorded Echo that. And the all the time. Along with some interviews. We've gotten some interviews recorded. Don't think that we're just sitting around here being like, yeah, working it tomorrow. Every day I am working on well, this. I'm not getting paid. Not a not a penny. Yeah, but uh, she is d- dedicating it all at this point. <laughs> Every bit of energy is going into this this here podcast. So I hope it's a good episode. I don't even know it's what phenomenal. it's talking about anymore. But sh- yes, it's, listen to Shane. He's got some good taste. Yeah, you're yeah. welcome. It's gonna be great, right. and uh, you're gonna have a really good time. We really um, we we didn't settle. That's the whole thing. We had our quality. We didn't control. settle for yeah. a list of bands from Wikipedia. We didn't settle for nope. just Rage Against the Machine's correlation and nope. how it led to many bad bands. Nope. We had the quality control filter turned on to 11. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're going to have that kind of like uh, editorial oversight of yourself, you're going to have to, um, you know, take some time sometime. It's going to be a painful, longer process than you think. But it goes think. really quick when we're talking about Echo and the Bunny Men because there's a the bunny gods like it and they they give us they bestow gifts it flows oh yeah when we're talking echo and the bunny man the episodes just are so fast they're just emanations like we're we're just conduits it's easy but then we took this little detour but then they uh, the bunny gods threw us again uh a map and now we have a story to tell it is an idiosyncratic story. It is a story of a love between two men, Shane and Will. <laughs> That's right. My buddy Will Sargent, uh, who I have slowly grown to love, love and appreciate. And, uh, you know. And let me tell you, I wonder if Ian is just sitting in the bus like me, just being like. <sighs> she like. Yeah. When you... Well, we'll see. We'll get there. All we'll right, see. Right. We'll see you guys on the other side, oh, okay? okay. So here we are, we're going to talk about the birth of punk. One, two, three, four. Punk rock. What is it? How did it, whoa, how did it get here? What gave rise to it? What kinds of punk are there? We're going to talk all about this kind of stuff, and we're not going to look at any notes because it's all just a bunch of, like, urban legends and just what we heard. And I don't. How did your understanding of punk rock evolve over time, Shane? My first exposure to punk rock, I guess, would be the Dead Kennedys as a kid. <laughs> And then the Ram- and the Ramones. Those were the punk bands. You and were I, American punk. Yeah, like California and New York, East Coast, <laughs> West Coast, East West. But and I I think 
more so the dead Kennedys, um, they have a certain melodicism in their playing. You know, they have that, that surf element. Real fast, mm-hmm. a lot of it. <laughs> and like the politics of it, I, I was I was really um, I felt something about that uh, the rebellion that they were, even though I might not have fully understood it. It was another seed in my consciousness about just anti-authoritarianism and, and just rejection of. American corporate capitalist culture. You want to listen to a good punk rock record is uh, Fresh Fruit for Rotting Vegetables by Mm. Dead Kennedys. Yeah. You know, because it's like efficiency and progress is ours once more. That, I mean, I know that's not the birth of punk, but that's my, I think, earliest exposure to punk. And of course, Fugazi was a huge band for me. You could say that Fugazi is almost like a post-Echo and the Bunnymen band in some I ways. I think so. I mean, I mean you know, they were emo, contemporaneous. But you like, know, but Rise just, of Spring. Yeah. Before we get yeah. into like the different types of punk, let's talk about like some of the the early influences. Like, so some people say Hendrix early influence. Some people say the Beatles with Helter Skelter and this distorted guitar yeah. birth of punk. Chuck Berry's pretty raw. Yeah, right? I'm trying to think though. Somebody wrote a book on this. What about Captain Beefheart too? Oh, you of know? course. Like, right. Like, like that is like some punk splatter. You know, like real. Because he had the, you know, I would argue that he's kind of a punk, aesthetically, really interested, like there's a really kind of jagged and kind of yeah, bludgeoning effect of the music. Like the nothing re- that had been yeah. heard before. Yeah. Since when. Really no no compromise artistically and just really, you know, extremely jarring and Yeah. Um and so he his career started in you know in the mid sixties. I know and it's then, like he ripped apart the whole yeah. the sixties. And then broken. well, but then like uh yeah, and then Trout Mask Replica, you know, his what's considered their his great masterpiece or the Magic Band's great masterpiece uh, was like '69, and um, and but in the early, he was he went through all through the '70s, you know, and then in the early '80s he uh, on his album Doc at the at the radar station he has a song called Ashtray Heart, and that song is kind of his kind of just venting on his frustration with the punk scene because he felt like the punk scene owed him a debt of gratitude that they ripped him off and he was just you know like just typical male ego bullshit <laughs> like guys fucking like you copying me or you copying me and fucking you know credit, credit it's like, 
but uh, but but some of the ly- lyrics of the song. I mean, it starts out right away. Like, and this is like dear the punks. This is dear the, the punks, punks. Okay. straight up. Okay. Here we go. Ready? You used me like an ashtray heart, case of the punks, right from the start. You used me like an ashtray heart, case of the punks, right from the start. Ashtray heart. You picked me out, brushed me off, crushed me while I was burning out. Then you picked me out like an ashtray heart, hid behind the curtain, waited for me to go out. A man on a porcupine fence. Porcupine. Used me for an ashtray heart, hit me where the lover hangs out, stood behind the curtain while they crushed me out. You used me for an ashtray heart. You looked in the window when I went out. You used me like an ashtray heart. 1980. He felt really hurt by the punks. <laughs> they really, uh, I know that feeling. I feel used. He yeah. felt used and he felt Cause he, cause he wanted underappreciated. To be yeah, he they... wanted to be cool. Yeah. And he was, but he didn't maybe Not have until... enough self-love to know that uh, <laughs> he was, you know? Yeah. But anyway, I just wanted to mention that. Yeah. In our punk episode. I'm so glad you did because you really can't without talking about this guy. The punks do love him. We're healing the rift right now. Do they? Who does? Well, the post punks surely the do. Post punks do. Yeah. Okay. Robert Smith liked him. Yeah, Robert Smith did. But uh I mean but, everybody likes him. Isn't he like the universal I mean, that's easy for us to say now, like forty years after the fact. I mean he died what, like ten, fifteen years ago? I don't know, but he, but he, uh, you know, in the early '80s, I don't know if he was feeling that appreciation, you know. I mean, yeah. there were, it was more of a cult status that he had, but one of the, it was, you know, it's kind of a slow build for for something that avant garde to catch on and develop a, uh, you know. A large following right you know yeah and so now it seems like oh yeah he was so influential and everyone just loved him blah, blah, blah. but he was like flat broke i mean frank zappa was bailing yeah. him out that's why the whole bon- the, 80s the whole bongo fury thing that he did the record he did with frank zappa was frank zappa bailing him out he you know yeah. he was in the mid-70s and he was not successful artist <laughs> that's why uh roger eagle couldn't get an audience to his show at the stadium yeah, you know when he right. went before he opened derrick's so I mean, yeah, um, yeah. So he was perhaps un- felt underappreciated. Maybe he wasn't as appreciated. Definitely, he's more appreciated now. And yeah. then he f- bailed out of his music career. He did one more record after Doctor at the Radar Station called right. Ice Cream for Crow. Yeah. I think it was like '82 or '83. And then he just did fine art, his abstract art. Then he was extremely sick and was just like in hospital for like a couple decades, like just kind of. I yeah, do, I do have one question. At what point did he write the famous uh, letter, email? Oh, to, to Bono? Bono, stating, "Dear," <laughs> I can't even say it. Dear Bongo, no. <laughs> what a great story that is! Really, it is. Have beautiful. we told that in podcast yet? Well, we have some breaking news that we'll be probably talking about in the next episode regarding uh, Bono. Bono, so we can really get into it. Okay. But the whole story is while we're on Beefheart that Bono <laughs> thought he would wanted to collaborate with Captain Beefheart, Don Van Vliet. What year was that? That's what I mean in the eighties, certainly, yeah. right? 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe after he did, uh, you know, they did the Joshua Tree, he was feeling oh. like, oh, I want to do something artsy. God, and, I wish he had. I mean, that I'm just making cool. this shit up. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, he's always oh, kept the beef Or was heart. it our tune, baby? I Who knows? Maybe it was in the 90s. I don't like, know. Mm, mm. So anyway, he wrote. It's not that that's a bad album. So just, Bono uh, writes a letter or somehow com- gets in contact with Don Van Vliet, sure a.k.a. Captain Beefheart. Yeah. And and Beefheart sent him uh, a three-word response. Dear Bongo, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> Let me get a tattoo of that. I mean, I just, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful it's the, sentiment. It's one of the greatest correspondences <laughs> of the 20th century. Each pillow is counted like a rock. The mother-father figure... Somebody's had too much to thank. Send your mother home, your neighbor. Case of the pubs. People were going for certain sounds. Like, I'm just going to tap back into this, like, British, like, psychedelic prog thing for just a second. <laughs> Sorry. But if you listen to 21st Century Schizoid Man by King Crimson that came out in, like, 69 or something like that, uh-huh. that is super pop. Have you heard that song? Yeah, I know that song I mean, very like, well. It's just like... <laughs> dissonant chords and it's like really like kind of like, but the rest of the album that I wouldn't put in that camp category I just want to say here early on in the um, the podcast is that when I started doing this thing it was kind of like me asserting my music in the face of living in a house where a lot of music is played and that's your job kind of so I don't get to you know, run the airwaves as much in the household. And I am like, this is me. This is my music. But I just want to say that it has led right back to the same dorky music that you listen to, thanks to Will Sargent. That's we are right. back at it with all, I mean, all of it, all of the Sid Barrett's, just all the stuff that you love. Yeah. And more. There's more. There's additional things. There's other things yeah. that I probably don't care about that much, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, How do you know? So while we're on the topic of punk, I dug up this article by Will Sargent. That the man. Is the man. So I want to read a little bit of this to you. Yeah. And just get your thoughts. Use What's this the name article. of the article? What's it called? It's called Guest Column. It appeared in Q Magazine, okay. Prague versus Punk by Will Sargent. Oh, man. And I just want to read a few excerpts. Okay. I kind of want to just read the whole article, but just some things that you might find interesting. Okay. 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 Um, Color so, me interested. All right. So, so let's start. So here's Will talking in this interview. He says, after years of collecting music... I find myself heading backwards to my progressive rock roots. The first band that I fell for, really fell for, was Pink Floyd. Oh, man. Now, if if you've been listening to every episode, you know that we have talked about Roger Waters, I think, in every single episode. 
I didn't even realize wow. that this was. That's really incredible. This man, Will Sargent, was your musical soulmate. He's my musical soulmate. It's not that incredible because, like, that is the gateway to Prague. Do you know? All right. Well, and, mm-hmm. uh, can I, should I elaborate on that? Please. Okay. Because, uh, so, because my experience was Pink Floyd, mm-hmm. but of course, he grew up, Will's older than me, so I'm talking like, I'm in like the mid 80s. Mm-hmm. Like, you were As born a, in 78. I was born in 78. When his band was formed, he was 1920 20 at the yeah. time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was like a kid, and I would, my cousin was away at college, and I'd go into his record collection, and that's how I got into Pink Floyd cause, and some other music. Cause I would, an old, Will had an older brother. Yeah, and I, and I would, uh, and I would, anyway, The Wall. But of course, we don't need no education. I mean, just as a kid, just, I remember in middle school, like, you know, this girl in my class was like, we're going to, like, when we do the morning announcements, we're going to pump. We don't need no education over, you know, talk about hijacking like the the office, the, uh, the communication, intercom the intercom at the school and, yeah. and bump, pump, pump, and we don't need no education. I thought Did that was the, no, but it, what a badass thing to just be talking about <laughs> in sixth grade. Sentiment. Yeah. But anyhow, so I was in the Pink Floyd as a little kid because they're very appealing, mm-hmm. if, you know, with especially that song. And, um, yeah. Also, Pink Floyd has a song on the album more Eugene. called the Nile Song. Oh. And it's just, that is a straight up like hardcore punk song. And it's just like, I was standing on the Nile. I was standing by the Nile. And then when I was a teenager, older, and being in the music and stuff like contemporary music of the time some bands we've talked about all the punk bands and stuff was also still in the pink floyd mm-hmm. and i got this magazine i can't remember what magazine it was but it was a history of prog rock and it starts off with pink floyd yes well as will Sargent said in the next sentence he says piper is of course my sid album and metal is my post sid album i also have a place in my heart for Early Yes, ah. Genesis, mm. Jethro Tull, right on, and wait for it, ELP. Okay, what's ELP? Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Oh, oh. Um, you know they have a couple good albums. I I would need to Here, revisit. Is it, that. They're the ones who are like, yeah. Wait, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. That's it. That's wait, it. That's that's, it. The, that's the what's that song called? Oh, he he puts the thing in his mouth. No, 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 no. Do no, you no. feel? No, no, that's Peter Frampton. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, this is better than that, uh, <laughs> although that's a good song, I guess, you know, and, and it's, it's aged well. Emerson Lake Palmer's like, Sarks Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. Never mind. No, insert clip. Brain Salad Surgery. So they had a prog album called Brain Salad Surgery, which was big for them. They had another one, though, an earlier one that was really cool, too, which has the that Moog thing that you were singing. It was, like, the first, like, instance of the Moog in popular music as, like, this, like, featured, almost, like, solo, you know, synthesizer. It wasn't the, probably the first, but it was really popular in the early 70s. All right, you want to hear, hear a smart observation by Will Sargent? Guitarist yeah. for Echo and the Bunny Man. I'll listen to anything that guy has to say at this point. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. I'm sorry it was, uh, you know, 
we weren't faster friends, you know? <laughs> I, know. I was like, I don't know. He's all right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> the two-ton rotating drum kits packed into 20 articulated lorries full of gear, the lavish stage shows, and not to mention Peter Gabriel's inflatable slipper man ball bags. Oh, beautiful. Pink, excuse me. <laughs> I'm there, yes. Punk simply would not have been noticed if it was only oh. up against Quo. What? Q-U-O? Quo. Quo, what that is. Alice, Alice Cooper, Cooper, Slade, and T-Rex. Punk needed the pompous progressive rock backdrop to stand out in harsh relief. I hear that. Yeah, I mean, he's also not talking about what about like disco, you know? Like punk was a response to that too. Mm -hmm. And it's true. Like didn't um, actually, um, what's his name? Sid Vicious have like, a, he had like a leather jacket that said Pink Floyd sucks. <gasps> oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Okay, we're going to come back around to uh, John Lydon in a little bit. But so he says punk's, punk rock's lifespan was very short. It was only about a year before it came tired. And I'm really realizing that as I listen to, once again, one of my favorite podcasts, Known Pleasures, that it's really, you know, right into post-punk. Uh, it's branching out pretty quick. Yeah. Um, but some people will just, again, plant their flag and stay there. He says, anyone with the slightest knowledge of music could see that Johnny, Johnny Rotten, had wrapped his public image up in kraut rock clothes. And now listen to this. After the full-on assault of Wire's pink flag, they moved pretty quickly. And by the time they made chairs missing, they were starting to drift back to Prague. Television, he said, could have been Robert's Fripp's illegitimate sons had they known how to rig up to <laughs> Revo tape machines, creating never-ending loops <laughs> of interplaying guitar wizardry. Huh. <laughs> Golly. <laughs> During the short year that punk existed, <laughs> I have like opinions about all these things. I bet you do. <laughs> I know. It's like this is the episode. This is the bulk of the episode. Um, and so during the short year that punk existed, there were bands that masqueraded or, by no fault of their own, were hailed as punkish. All right. His favorites, Will Sargent's favorites back then, The Residents okay. and Para Ubu. Huh made some of the most progressive records ever, but yeah. they were all a bit odd. Right. And yeah, punk not likes odd. Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you, I moved to Asheville, and I met a group of punks, uh, some from the Alabama. We called them the post-punks. And we would call, yeah, we would call them the post-punks, and they were like five years older than us, and they're like 45. Are they really? No, I mean, Jason, he's like 43. A few, a few years older. Whatever, yeah. like a couple years older, but they would have like residence parties there's this party in yeah. new orleans they have a different resident record playing in every room oh, wow. yeah, and it was yeah and i was like gosh everyone loves this band no one knows who's in the band they wear eyeballs and top hats i had always seen that yeah. Pictures of them, but one of the dudes from that band just died too recently. Oh. Like a, a, a central figure. So we know who he is then? We... Yeah, I mean, yeah, go ahead. Keep going, Will. Uh, okay. Today. Today. Okay. Today. Like the tattered remnants of a King's Road punk's flaccid Mohican, punk is all but forgotten. 
the American garage bands of the 60s, the Standells, the Elevators, and of course, the Stooges had had it all nailed years before. Mm, mm-hmm. Good, I like that. Uh-huh. And then the final question he asks, what has punk achieved really? A few kids wear CBGBs or Ramones t-shirts without knowing the meaning of either. We are more screwed down by the man than ever before. We are told what to buy from a TV or computer that we all have invited into our homes. Big stadium bands like Radiohead, The Flaming Lips, and Sugar Ross Tours. Sugar Ross? Seeger Ross. Oh, and Seeger Ross Tour with spectacular light shows. The double-necked Gibson EDS-1275SG is very much the hippest axe once again. What do you, th- do you know that guitar? Sure, yeah, d- uh, double neck SG. I mean, <laughs> I never played one. John McLaughlin, I think, played one. And oh. uh, you, need the, you need that double neck, man. You need to get to that 12 string quick, man. You can't. Are you kidding? So it has two necks? It's a double it's neck guitar. Dark. You've seen that. That's what you, he's talking about. Yeah, you're kidding. Yeah, the SG double neck. But, right, but the Radiohead wouldn't play that, right? I don't know, wouldn't they? Oh, I have man. no idea. And so we'll just go ahead and just finish the article because I think this yeah. is a beautiful way to end it all, this segment. I loved punk when it kicked in, and being a fan of Prague as a kid, my mind was opened up enough to be able to accept instantly the outsider aspects of punk. Do not fear Prague. It's only music that takes your mind to another place. Yes, it's nuts, difficult, and sometimes ridiculous. I love that about it. Say it loud and say it proud. Prague's not Not dead dead and and never never has been. That scratches so many itches, man. <laughs> it's really validating in a lot of ways because uh, really recently I'm, I've been also kind of embracing the love for Prague, the, uh, the you know, the technical kind of feats that can be accomplished when you uh, put your mind to something. And I'm kind of surprised Will is so into this uh, really acrobatic guitar music because he doesn't play that way yeah it's his little secret you know i mean (laughs) it's it's, uh but he's like now he's owning it that's the thing now he's owning it that's and that's i'm doing the reverse with echo and the bunny man i spent you know most of my life feeling ashamed of liking this really sensitive goth music you know i remember once being in a car with jason cronk who's like this Cross punk for life. Ah, just DIY just, or die. Such a great guy. Yeah, so, really great guy. Yeah, and just a real. He was like a real punk. I felt like when I came. But he's the still. Scene. He's like the granddaddy of like the uh-huh. young punk scene now. So he like uh, does definitely. shows and like he like. Uh, he, I feel like he mentors young punks in he's a way. Still by out there organizing and he, shows, and, and he's so dignified and very like quiet and. Yeah. Uh, you just want him to respect you, and I remember I had to pick him up from somewhere he got a ride with me and I had been listening to The Cure in my car and I took out the tape when he got in because I was embarrassed Uh. and he saw it and he was like oh I love The Cure 
oh, yeah. Kira's awesome. And I was oh, like, yeah. okay, cool. Yeah, I guess that can yeah, be me. Totally. I think I was like 22 or something. I remember because I was in a punk band with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were in a band called Shovel Fight in... Uh, Sink the Fucker! Yeah, shut band called Shovel Fight and Sink the Fucker. It was a band with two names. <laughs> I joined it uh, when they were already kind of going a little bit. And um, we did a couple tours. Those were my first DIY punk tours, mm-hmm. which was before I crossed over into playing Prague and experimental improv back music. Cro- cross back cross over. Back before over. that, Shane had been in a band called Ninjas, yeah. which uh, they covered like giant steps and... Oh, not very well. We mostly <laughs> covered Black Unity by Pharaoh Sanders, a bunch of white kids. Uh, and then uh, like 45-minute free jazz odyssey uh, with like 12 people on stage. With didgeridoo with Ramin didgeridoos. Didgeridoo. Man, those were the days. I once had, I once walked, I shouldn't even tell this story. Well, I, we got to keep it on yeah, plong. Yeah, yeah, we can't okay. lose our credibility. But a misconception I had growing up, I think it's a misconception, and I was kind of blown away to realize the chronology later in life, but like the Sex Pistols, that was the birth of punk. Uh, now, that's a, it's the birth of a certain incarnation of punk, right. and it was, the, you know, the British punk. Right. But you... But they came from the Ramones. That's, that's well, right. They, well, they were inspired by the Ramones. They were inspired by the, and they were scared... The, Sex Pistols were scared to come and visit the Ramones because they were afraid that like Joey Ramone's gonna beat them up. Like they Dee Dee's just, gonna like, just like just like they just em- <laughs> emanated violence. Yeah, they just had you know guns. Well, I don't I know about. I wanna <laughs> sniff some glue. Like these dangerous uh, hey, waste waste Yeah. I wanna go. I mean, they're scared to go in the basement. Yeah. So what does that say about Johnny Rotten? You know? But it's the it's image. Just... Right. And and Johnny Ramone. The Republican, yeah. uh, he is scary. It, like fascist, was the one who really cultivated that image for them. Yeah, he was the one that was like, "We need these haircuts. We need these leather jackets. Oh, we need this uniformity sense. in our presentation." Okay, so, okay, so there's the misconception that Sex Pistols were the birth of punk, but then it was like maybe the Ramones were and that whole thing. But then there's also right. the misconception that I want to address that punk was made for and by white people. And I think a lot of us who learned about punk from secondhand means and weren't living it, white people created punk and it's it's for me. The it's, middle class white person. Yeah, it's like a middle suburbia. Class, Oh, exactly. Or, you know, like totally suburbia, Um, which is a movie that I love the aesthetic of. But then it's just a bunch of racist, homophobic stuff. And then Flea's in it. And Flea's in it. (laughs) Yeah, I know. And so sometimes we don't even see. And I'm saying we as white people because we're two white people doing this podcast. And of course, there's not a huge container to really address issues of race. But like. We don't even see it, that that whole notion that white people created punk, because we see white as normative, you and I. Well, that means like it's just, we just don't, we're just, it's like the it's water, we're swimming. And we yeah, just it's like even, you get a Band-Aid and yeah. it's like supposedly flesh colored and it's the same color as our skin, right. but not anyone yeah. else's. So it's like, um, 
So this is just one of many things to explore, um, you know, just the way that some people are pushed to the margins and the fact that for every story that's told, one is erased. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, for instance, Death is a band that was discovered in 2008 that existed, was from Detroit, and people listened to them. They had influence, but they just got buried. You know, there was no right. market for them at the time, and they got forgotten until 2008. And There's a documentary made about them, right? Oh, absolutely. Because this is a band that was... <laughs> sort of this missing link between like Alice Cooper and some of that hard rock. Well, I felt like there was like sort of a thrash quality mm-hmm. to, to their sound too. Yeah. They had Fast, like, furious. Yeah, and like some shredding going on. Yeah, you know, you're really good point, Alice Cooper, you know, who was actually discovered by Frank Zappa. Uh, I don't know, you know. Um, oh, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, another link. Another link to the uh, conceptual continuity of the Zappa universe. But um, they, uh, they embodied a lot. This is a very eclectic band, Death. Uh, they do have uh, like a shred quality to them, almost thrash quality. But then they also have a real prog quality to them. A lot of really funny, like herky-jerky arrangements and like kind of intricate time changes, time changes and, and sections. Or am I bringing out, bringing out, bringing out, it really all kind of mixes together. But the one thing I feel like it's the first instance that I can think of, someone else could like send us an email and tell me differently, but like, you know, of uh, this kind of, what I associate with crust punk, um, right. like anarcho crust punk, which is like this almost minimal really aggressive driving monotone kind of music that's just like real screamy and and bare bones and um and so, political they have a recorded yeah. album but yeah you were telling me about the yeah they have some like you know just garage recordings like one microphone in a room like jam sessions and stuff where they do some covers and all of their recordings have actually been reissued on drag city records and um and really it looks like they're kind of currently active after their rediscovery and rebirth and you know i feel like they're interesting they've gotten a lot of attention recently because they were discovered and there's something very exciting about discovering something and then they're so good you know it's like like, unearthed yeah yeah. and it just makes you wonder how many other bands that never recorded yeah i mean to this day oh my gosh yeah bands and people who are pushed to the margins um, well they're not because you have to try well you have to try to keep them out and they and they there's no market for the music that death was doing at the time and they just got pushed they were just black uh-huh. Yeah, and uh-huh. so so they were, you know, because they yeah. could have in the guise of oh I don't know what to do with this yeah instead of like let's throw some money behind this see where it goes man yeah totally yeah. hey bro yeah. <laughs> Okay, so in terms of Echo and the Bunnymen and their relationship to punk rock, there's a few more things we need to kind of touch on. Um, 
as we've said, Bowie was a huge influence on, it seems like everyone, well, in the world, all right, but in this town, Liverpool. Oh. Like, there were a bunch of guys that would just hang out yeah. in David Bowie, you know, approximations, right. costumes. Oh, and then yeah. oh. and then Marky Smith from The Fall would come to visit, you know, Liverpool from Manchester, and he said it was just a bunch of dudes dressed up as David Bowie hanging out in the rain. Oh yeah. So there's like David <laughs> Bowie, Roxy music also yeah. kind of leads into punk, and we also have to talk about. Can I say that the that the, the Roxy music yeah. is like a segue almost from Prague, though, yes. because it's very progressive. It is, and then it has that adds that flamboyance, which Peter Gabriel had a flamboyance, but he had like an extreme surrealism, yes. as opposed to like a, you know, hyper femininity, or you know, in his in his. Uh, performances and his theatrics you know and so there was like a a drag element i think there's a drag element there's also just sort of a martian just outsider from from bowie from bowie yes and And then then peter gabriel's like zanier than that right you know totally (laughs) so another uh sort of touchstone that we need to explore is American punk, which is the the brand of punk that Ian McCulloch feels most identified with. And we're talking about the Velvet Underground. We're talking about Iggy Pop and the Stooges mm-hmm. and that whole era that Will Sargent kind of talks about, like that it had already been done. Punk had been done in 1969 right. when the Stooges came out. Yeah. I- when he's when you said that part of the article about the Stooges, uh-huh. that's I, you know like I, it clicked for me. I, was, I had forgotten them in our yep. in our sort of like recap here of yep. punk rock, and I was like, oh yeah, like ten years earlier, like maybe the most the, yeah, the greatest like, parallel. Yeah. I mean, it's like Black Sabbath and metal. It had just already been invented yeah. so far, and people kind of forget that I did too. Like that the Stooges were a sort of missing link. Um, and then Iggy Pop with his presentation, he's the yeah. oh yeah the template. Yeah, it's interesting too, right? Yeah, like even like with the like he more extreme rock. crowd surfing. Yeah, you know? and then you got like the the more extreme people that followed in, in his wake down yep. the line, or or, or or attempts to be more extreme sometimes. Now the Velvet Underground and Lou Reed, um, this also uh, leads into punk. So you have the scene uh, cropping up in New York around a visual artist named Andy Warhol, for those of you who don't know, and uh, he opened up a hangout spot called The Factory, where he (laughs) made his art, where everyone would hang out, and a band formed called The Velvet Underground. Yep. Um, And I discovered them late in my life. I was like 18 when I bought their first album. So that's like 19... That's like... uh, 97. uh, 97, yep. Okay. So... I had always heard about them, but the only thing I knew about this band was there was a woman named Nico who had been opening for Susie and the Banshees on a tour, Uh. but canceled and was temperamental. And that's when The Cure came in to open for Susie and the Banshees, and they all met. 
Oh, that's because Nico was, wasn't cutting it. She just, yeah, I think she was just like, I'm she over, was over this. It. Yeah. yeah um, and so, so that's all I knew of the Velvet Underground. And then I got their album, and I put this album on, and for me, it was a missing link. Sorry, and it which, was which so one? beautiful. With Nico? I got actually two at once. I oh. went into this record shop and got two cassettes because that's what I that was my medium. Yeah. So it was White Light, White Heat, oh, okay. and. And I think it was like a weird compilation one, too. What I really liked about them was the fact that they had this very grand, ambient, ethereal sound that was in a very lo-fi format. And I love the combination of reaching for a grand and beautiful sound Mm -hmm. combined with limitations, inability to play. Like there's that song that's kind of that trippy song where there's a little girl talking and people talking. One light, white And that drum, oh my God. And the drums in that, I feel like are wrong and badly played. They sound like the shags or something. And it, nice. I loved it. It was the first music I'd ever heard that sounded like, I don't know, the My Bloody Valentine or indie rock that was older. So it's, it's interesting how this band led into punk rock. I think part of it had to do with the aesthetic and the lifestyle and um, the fact that the songs were about waiting for someone to deliver drugs. It was pretty subversive for the time. Um, Stylistically, Lou Reed with the leather jacket. Yeah. Um, I, I found that whole scene to be really scary. I always knew, you know, my dad was really into the arts, that Andy Warhol was a scary person. And I read Edie Sedgwick's uh, biography, and it's just so dark up in that scene. And I, so I never really got into Lou Reed. Yeah. But my, my mind has been opened a bit by um, our cousin-in-law, Alex Farina. Yeah. Um, I need to go back and, and revisit Lou Reed. Huh. Oh, um, yeah, he's that's and, and then, guy. you know, yeah, I just never got his solo stuff. I never went with him on a journey anywhere. I absolutely love some of his songs. Yeah. A lot. That's, everyone yeah. says. Everyone says that. And he married such a cool lady, so he's got to be all right. And also, he, uh, but then he did that Metallica album. Well, come on. Give the guy a break. <laughs> Jeez. That's like... Yeah, I mean, I agree. That's like hilarious. I know. I just like, wanted to talk into, about it, yeah. and make fun of it. Actually, you should really actually go listen to that. <laughs> well, my friend Eric Slick contends that uh, Lulu, which is the Metallica Lou Reed collaboration, is a, like a misunderstood masterpiece of our generation. Oh, he people does will think look, that? Yeah, oh, I and didn't people know that. will come back in the future and be like, "Will this. you adore the river?" Yeah. So yeah, uh, we, we listen to that song "Pumping Blood" like forty or fifty times on a road trip. It's pumping blood on Lulu, the Metallica Lou Reed uh, collaboration, um, and yeah, it's just it's great. And I think that's that can just end. That just can, check it out. That can round out our well, I, I American I punk. Shiny, shiny, shiny boots 
when we were trying to figure out what to talk about, I was thinking, you know, I wanted to find a story in punk history that would illustrate a point that I want to make about punk. And there were many choices I had in front of me, but I decided to go with something I know a lot about, and that is Susie and the Banshees. I don't need notes to talk about Susie. I know her birthday is May 27, 1957. I know she was born uh, the daughter of a snake doctor. I mean, I know so much about this man. I don't really like. Oh, that's pretty epic. It is, yeah. Her dad was, I think he was like a biologist or something, but he did work with snake venom. Oh. So somebody should do a podcast about Susie and the Banshees. I am too faint of heart. Cause this is a rough crowd, man. This is the real deal. Like, we've got some sweet guys in Echo and the Bunnymen, but man, Susie will, uh... It's dangerous. <laughs> I'm scared of Susie. She's very intimidating. But the book I, I read like, this year, Susie and the Banshees, the authorized biography, and let me tell you, get that book. You want some stories of Susie and Budgie having a secret affair for years while in the band. Whoa. You want to talk about like some acid years and some, I mean, there's like blood and sex and death in their story. So you might as well just pick that book up because you know you want to read it. Wow. So somehow in my understanding of punk, which I came into in the 90s, you know, through secondhand means, for some reason it was centered around sex pistols and maybe that's because Sid and Nancy had come out. And in middle school, we were all renting it and watching it. I'll never look like Barbie. Barbie doesn't have bruises. Sid, look at this. I look disgusting. By the way, Courtney loves in that movie. So that kind of put me in touch with the Bromley contingent. And that was a group of suburban kids from the South who lived outside of London. They were very suburban, and they all banded together and became super fans of the Sex Pistols, and they kind of became the Sex Pistols posse. They became their crew, and they would go to all the shows, and um, eventually Susie, and was it Billy Idol? And Steve Severin, um, another member of Susie and the Banshees. Who did the glove? who did The Glove with Robert Smith. He was the bassist for Susie and the Banshees. His name came from Shiny Boots of Leather. Severin, Severin, awaits you there. So that was his name. So Susie, Steve Severin, and Sid Vicious formed an impromptu band that played with The Clash and the Sex Pistols at a punk festival at London's 100 Club in Oxford Street. And they were like at the bottom of the list, but um, Susie came out uh, topless with one of those bras without the fabric over the boobs <laughs> and wearing, oh, swastika armbands. Because the whole thing with the Bromley contingents, Uh-oh. yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, totally. <laughs> I remember my seeing pain, that. My face <laughs> James' face, I know. <laughs> like a huh, uh-huh. Whoa. Oh. <laughs> well, I was so crushed and disappointed when I saw a picture of her from that concert and a book I'd gotten about That's her as a teen. fucking inexcusable. It is so inexcusable, <laughs> but let me tell you, her career goes on. Yeah. And here I am talking about it. And how is that possible? Yeah, so she was so now, a Nazi sympathizer? No, okay, well, I, here's, their, here's their claim that they make, all uh, right? 
their parents fought in World War II. Okay. Now, they were all into hanging at the gay clubs and drag and being camp, right? Okay. And so they would appropriate these Nazi uh, uniforms and military costumes okay. to piss off their parents. Right. Yeah, Bromley Contingent isn't my favorite. I yeah. hate that bratty, just rebelling for the sake of rebelling. Right, right. Um, they they vehemently claim not to have been Nazi sympathizers. They were they were very nihilistic. I hate everyone. Yeah. I hate myself. They all hated each other. It was just like a big, gross hate fest of I just am angry at the world and want to piss off my parents. Um, Steve Severin has a whole section in this book that I have been looking for because I've been trying to find, I cannot find it, where he compares um, the Sex Pistols and the Clash, and he makes the case that the Sex Pistols uh, were more cutting edge, and he identified more deeply with them versus the Clash, because they were camp and more performance-based, and right. their project was um, more nihilistic and theatrical. You know, The Clash is very militant and it's about social justice and the working right. class. The freedom fighters died up on the hill. They sang the red flag. They want a black one. And I am definitely in the Clash camp. I like right. a humorless, preachy band totally. who's going to yeah, fight yeah. for the That's people. Awesome. Yeah. But, this, but Susie and the Banshees did not. They were part of like this other. More like fantasy. Yeah, fantasy. Like erotica, like... Uh, yeah. Uh, occult and um and you know i just listened to ian mcculloch he has some things to say about susan the banshees he's like she just likes pumpkins and halloween and that's her uh, thing uh, <laughs> i know, uh, <laughs> I know. We should, play, should we play a clip of that <laughs> it's, uh, it's like uh, it's like the brat at school when you're about 10 years old and there's a girl who like writes on the wall or writes on your face or something and that's susie to me yeah, you know, she's heard that she's head of pumpkins or something, and she bases her whole life around pumpkins and Halloween. And I think there's more to life than Halloween. So this is from a really old interview from like 1985. This picture disc that appeared on YouTube in September, and uh, I'll have more to say about it. At some there's point, more to life than pumpkins, you know. <laughs> Whatever. I love Susie, but let me you tell you. I love Ian with the. Uh, <laughs> not, he doesn't hold back about it. Oh no! Oh no! And yeah. we shouldn't either, right? Yeah. And so, but the point that I want to make is that even with all of the posturing that punks do, that they are the vulnerable, and the kind-hearted, and the sensitive. What's the word? Group, collective in our society. I feel like when you are deeply feeling and sensitive on the inside, yeah. you have to protect yourself in this culture by looking and appearing to be... Dangerous, strange, yep. unapproachable. Unapproachable. Uh, just weird. Yep. So what happens is uh, the Bromley contingent, which are the super fans of the Sex Pistols, some of whom will become Susie and the Banshees, 
and also Billy Idol okay. is a part of Makes it. Sense. They all look he was the same. at a university, like some fancy school, but then I think Steve or somebody called him and was like, You gotta come see this band. So he like left college and came just went he on like to be Billy Idol. Like just became a US citizen like two weeks ago or something. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. Welcome, Billy. Yeah. Welcome to our wonderful country. <laughs> You've come just in time yeah. to join the festivities. <laughs> welcome, welcome. Um so the Bromley contingent get invited on this show with the Sex Pistols to the Today Show hosted by a guy named Bill Grundy. And so this interview is sort of the interview where punk breaks into the mainstream. Yeah. It was a very controversial uh, live show. What year was it? This was in 1976. I gotcha. Okay. So they come on the show, and everyone's drunk, and they're wasted on the show. They're passing around these little sippy cups of whatever, some kind of alcohol. So Johnny Rotten is doing his defensive sort of making faces, and he drops the S-bomb at one point, and um, then... Making and, like googly eyes and fucking yeah, going from one face. facial <laughs> expression to the next, from like, crazed to like Charles ashamed Manson, just like rapid to, mood change. Yeah, yeah. So Bill Grundy turns his attention to uh, the ladies in the back, which also includes Steve Severin. <laughs> and he he turns to them and he says, <laughs> "What about Severin? you, ladies?" He's the third on the left. Okay. You know, you can watch this clip on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure everyone who's listening has seen it, and. So he turns to Susie and he's like, you know, what do you, what do you got girls doing or whatever? And she's like, she, you know, holds her chin up high and she's like, we're, you know, just hanging out and I've always wanted to meet you. And, you know, every time Susie says something to you, you feel like she's making fun of you. Nonetheless, she is just saying she's always wanted to meet him. Yeah. It may have been the last time she ever said anything nice in her life. Because then he turns to her and says, oh, yeah, well, we can meet afterwards. Yeah. Now, you were just saying earlier, like, maybe he was saying, like, oh, I'll sign your autograph later. But I think it's pretty much undisputed that he was saying he was being gross. Okay, and you can see on her face. I actually it's so weird, but I get teared up talking about it. And every time I see her, because for a second, she looks like shocked and afraid, like her face goes through like eight different expressions. I've actually watched the video in slow motion to see her shock and then like anger sat turns to uh, Steve Jones and then lifts her chin up again and, you know, assumes her persona once more. Yeah. And it just crushes me and then steve jones is it steve jones anyway he just hands bill grundy his ass and yeah. starts cussing him out so, you dirty bastard <laughs> you, you fucker. fucker go on you've got another five you seconds dirty, take something outrageous you dirty bastard on, again. <laughs> you dirty fucker what a, <laughs> what a fucking rotter well that's it for tonight <laughs> And I apparently, like, that was just Steve's way of talking, and he would just... He apparently wasn't even, like, trying to be outrageous. That's just how he talked. Right, But okay. I do think... Oh, he just has, a, like, a, a long drawl. A drawl, and also just, like, cusses every other word. Right. But I love this clip because I think it shows the vulnerability and the deep feelings, even beyond... The thin veil of posturing and wearing some booby t-shirt to offend everyone. Yeah. That everyone has feelings. And that this is the crew 
that uh, is going to go on to create. This is the genre that's going to go right. on to create new wave and emo. Yeah. My favorite to the dorky music I like. <laughs> so it all ties yep. together yep. in the world of punk rock. That's right. And, uh, and on that note, yeah, I think that's, okay. that's it. Wait a second. Wait, wait, wait. Let me ask you this. So what was your punk rock journey like? Okay. I have to preface this whole story and say that I am like a little kid. You know, when you were a little kid, um, it was all about what was your very favorite band, your first favorite band, like your second favorite band. Right. Then you had different yeah, categories yeah, and you were like, yeah, you know, this is my favorite goth band. But did you do that? Definitely. Yeah. And it's it was really important, like who your favorite favorite. But it band. sort of evolved. And it evolved. But then when you grew up, you were supposed to just listen to everything. I remember you'd ask people like, "What do you listen to?" And then people would be like, "I just listen to everything." Yeah. To me, it wasn't about listening to everything. Um, Some people just park their their pitch their tent in Led Zeppelin. That's it, though. Well, I pitched a tent as well. <laughs> this is what I'm trying to say. And I. Like a child, I have a favorite band still to this day. I have two favorites. Okay. Two that, and I wasn't going to talk about it in this podcast, who my other favorite band, because uh, clearly one of them. Uh huh. Yes, I think you do. So it will be revealed in the story as I talk about my journey mm-hmm. into punk and okay. understanding punk. So punk was born around the time we were born. So it was always kind of in our in our world, you know, mm-hmm. and there was always new wave and all the derivatives. And I always knew, you know, I always knew punk music, but my first punk tape where I was like, okay, I've heard about this band, the sex pistols. And I'd already heard like goth and the cure. And I'd already heard Metallica, but I had never heard the sex pistols. Mm. And I got their tape the same Christmas that yeah. I got the echo and the Bunnyman tape. And I popped it in, and I was so excited. And I put it on, and I was like... What's the big deal? Yeah, yeah. I was like, this is... I don't think I've ever gotten through that album. I So, and that's the thing about (laughs) punk in general, is I want to like it. I like people who listen to it. And so I want to like it, and I try to like it. And I remember while I was listening to it, trying to figure out, talk myself into why it was good like the sex pistols yeah like this part's good huh yeah like yeah yeah, there was nothing there was no beautiful haunting solo there were no scents i kind of kept it to myself though that i didn't like them because you kind of couldn't does anybody like them though that's the (laughs) thing that's the secret that's the secret no one actually does i know that's because really their name (laughs) i came up a lot as a kid Mm-hmm. And I thought it was so gross sounding. Oh, yeah. Sex pistols. And that made them this uh, automatically scandalous, anti-authoritarian in some way. All right, I'm going to tell mm. you what's good right. about them. Okay. Can I? Yeah, please. The Megadeth cover of Anarchy in the UK. I bet it's it is the best is damn thing good. that's ever come out of the Sex Pistols. Okay. It wasn't a collaboration. It was just nope. a cover. Okay. And I think it's Anarchy in the USA. And it's on Megadeth's first album, I think. Maybe their second album. I think it's on Killing is My Business and Business is Good. And that's how I... I didn't even know it was a Sex Pistols song. We shall sample it. Second Megadeth sample of the I Come in the Money Men podcast. Now. I am an 
second thought, actually, uh, that's pretty terrible. I'm sorry. That's all right. Okay, so, so I, it, you know, I didn't really like funk, is what I'm saying here. But then one day, my friend Sid, shout out to Sid, aka Rodney Kalka, um, he gave me this tape on the summer of eighth grade, and it was the Circle Jerks. Mm. And when I put in that album, yeah, I was transported. It was truly the music of my soul. Every note, every word. Wow. And I listened to it repeatedly forever. And I would walk up to people. And Tara, I called her that summer, and I, was, I, had, I let her know, I have discovered a band. And this band is the Circle Jerks. She was like, okay, I'll check it. And people, I remember saying like it them. to people. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, and people would be like, all right. Yeah, Another band name, good. I was like, God, I don't know yeah. if I can listen to this. The name is so, I don't know why I'm, mm-hmm. I may be like. When I heard the name of the band, I was like, you know, this is pretty, this is pretty rough. And, you know, how could they have this name and, and write these lyrics that seem so poignant and and critical of our capitalist world and, you know, really speaking to my desires and my feelings about things in general. And just a great sound. But I was like, they're being yeah. ironic. The yeah. circle jerks, they're like vehemently opposed to that mentality of just jerking off on a, piece, it, on yeah. a piece of bread. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, no offense to people that are into that sort of thing. Uh, I, it's fine. But um, anyway, one day... I was listening to our local radio station, V89, WVFS. The voice. And I heard the band that I had been listening to continuously. And it was a different song, so I was like, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to write down what song this is, because, you know, you used to listen to the radio and, like, tape songs off the radio or whatever. Right, right. And after the song was over, they said... That was Suggestion by Fugazi. Why can't I walk down a street? Suggestion. It was Fugazi. Oh. It was Fugazi the whole time. It and you thought it was a circle jerk. Did someone make you a tape? That's a yeah, it was jerks. mislabeled. It was mislabeled. Which would, you know, happen when you got Yeah, wow. That's so, awesome. And That's so, really incredible, actually. Because, uh... Because their music shined through having a name as terrible as the Circle Jerks. I know. And you thought, wow, this is the best band ever. But then you found out that they also have, like, the best band name ever, Fugazi. Yes. doesn't cover it at all but that's 
what we got. Yeah. Because we're already like an hour in, and I think, you know, we've told some stories. I've certainly told a couple of stories here. I, you know, I spilled my guts out yeah. about prog rock, and, uh, you know, we listened to some Jethro Tull, and, uh, you know, the stuff is, it goes, it runs deep. It runs deep. And, uh, and it's important for this, you know, it pertains to Echo and the Bunny Man. I talked about Lou Reed. We all did things that uh, we don't want to do. Yeah, we need we to, want to do. Yeah, <laughs> that you want to do. We did and things that, that I want to do. Yeah. And that Courtney wants to do. She wanted to do this episode. I said, yeah, okay, uh, let's do a punk rock episode. And, and, then, said, and then here we are. Now we've done it. Uh, we did in, it. In our way. In our way. <sighs> uh, there's a lot of things we didn't talk about. Yeah, there's so many things we didn't talk about that kind of like bugs me. Like we didn't talk about Patty Smith. Why doesn't Ian McCulloch mention her more? Since I know he's, he's all, all into that New York scene. He's all about like some Jim Morrison and some oh, Blue Reed. Oh God! And like you want to hear a real lyricist, but has whatever. he ever mentioned? Maybe he has though. I think he's more of a dude's. He's dude. a dude's dude. He's not like giving a lot of it's props true. to the ladies. You don't really see him with ladies. He's always like. No, he's a guy's like, guy. He's always like hanging out with the guys. Yeah. He like opens up he's to them the more pub. in interviews he's and the stuff. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, but there's so many things that we didn't get a chance to talk about. Like Patty Smith, crass. We didn't get to talk about Crass. Riot Girl. We never we talked about Bad Brains. We didn't talk about the Beastie Boys. Oh, we never talked about the Beastie Boys. A yeah. band that that's a really kind of interesting lens of seeing of like understanding punk. Yeah, cuz they came out of the punk scene. There. Yeah, that was that's a story there. I know Mike a lot about D that band. and MCA met at a Bad Brains show. Oh, that's right. Did you know that? But uh who yeah. else is an honorable mention? This Heat is a great band. Ah, that's a great band. The X. Oh, that's one of my favorites and um, you know along with them is the Dog-Faced Herman Dog another Herman's. Herman's like another um did we talk about Roger Waters in this episode? <laughs> yes. Yes, we okay, did. Good. Check. All right. It's not so. <laughs> an episode without Roger Waters. So Roger. Um, let's see. So thank you to Will Sargent for your thoughtful analysis of prog rock and punk rock. Um, you really, uh, you've really grown on me, Will. I'm really glad that uh, we're getting to know each other a little better here. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but my band, the Luchatistas, is a prog punk band. I've been doing it for 15 years. Ooh, he would have liked them. Yeah, you should check them out. Um, or my band out. They uh, could open for you. Yeah, they maybe, ooh, maybe you. we can open for Echo and the Bunnymen. Sure. Yeah, if you want a good opener, <laughs> you, my band, we don't, we never disappoint. Um, I'm, I mean, it's true. I mean, whatever. It's no, it's no big deal. It's not a, like ego thing. It's just a feeling that overcomes us in the audience every single show like without fail so um and y'all could sit on the bus and like we could listen to some gentle giant we can listen to octopus by gentle giant and we could listen to uh minstrel in the gallery by jethro tall and we could listen to gentle giant's first album and then we can listen to a passion play by jethro tall and then we can listen to uh, acquiring the taste we by Gentle to... Giant, and then we can listen to uh, yeah. Thick as a Brick, and then we could do some brain salad surgery. Anyway, I'm just um, and then right into the Ramones because I get it, man. I get you, I get you in this prog punk thing. I've been saying it all along. So, anyway, 
It's been cool. I love the end of an episode because you can just say anything. And this doesn't matter anymore because no one's listening. Yeah. We're really glad uh, that you didn't make it to this part of the episode. <laughs> um, thanks for listening to a few minutes of it. Or if you're a friend of ours who made it, we <laughs> Hi, mentioned uh, in it, maybe you listened to the, par- part. the part where you're in it like you just kind of skipped Hi, Jason. you just skipped around eric uh, to the part where you uh we mentioned your name and then you're like okay that was cool i got mentioned and then that, and then and then you, but not lauren then you turn it off no but lauren's she'll listen to this episode yeah like three or four times in that's its my best friend <laughs> and that's how you know your that your friends, friends <laughs> your mm-hmm. friends love you because yeah. when they listen to the whole episode of your podcast she could call me and talk to me on the phone so and have a ingrid take a cue from oh, lauren okay because you haven't been listening anyway so right. check us out all right and on that note let's uh let's wrap it up here whew. all right Good. you have been listening to this episode uh if you want to get in touch with us just drop us a line at uh Echo in here podcast at gmail.com or check us out Instagram, Twitter, Echo in here. Yeah, Something we're on like all that, that stuff. Yeah. Uh, if Faith, you you really like us, you want to give us money, uh, I have a Patreon. Oh, Patreon.com yeah. slash Shane Parrish. We'll uh, teach you a guitar lesson. We could do guitar lessons Skype. via Skype. I'll teach you any Echo in the Bunnyman song you want to learn. So uh, thank you. Adieu. One, two, three, four. Let's get the hell out of here.